Well, I'm delighted to be here with you. Um, when uh, Rebecca invited me to come to New Hampshire, <laughs> I had to think a minute where I am. I said, where is that? <laughs> I knew, I kind of knew it was in New England, I thought. So um, I've been to Boston, been to Boston, and uh, I've been to Vermont, but I've never been here. I don't think I've been here. I've not been, I've been here. So anyway, it is it's a joy. Our great-grandbaby is named Calvin, and he is the cutest. I wish you could see him. He, he's just, my husband and I have lost our minds over this baby because, I don't know, but he's so cute. But um, I was hoping, he was supposed to be born this year, because this is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. What a good name. And uh, he, got, he came early, so he was born in December, the end of December. So the, the, he messed that up completely. So, anyway, um, it's beautiful up here. I love the scarecrows. They're, they're fascinating. They're my son, our son is a fireman, and there's one that's a fireman, or it looked like he was a fireman. Is that by the fire station? Okay. Well, I'm going to have to tell David about it. Um, but anyway, we are, I am delighted to be here. This is lovely. It's cool up here. It's so hot at home. We've had record heat, so I'm hoping by the time I get back, it'll be cooler. Well, it's always, always a joy to share what God has done in my life. And it's an amazing work of grace. Uh, Before I tell you what happened when the Lord saved me, let me tell you a little background, a little bit about myself. I was born in Atlanta. I'm an only child. I was very spoiled by my parents uh, in, in fact, if that wasn't bad enough, I had an aunt and uncle that we were very close to, and they didn't have any children. So I had two sets of parents to spoil me. I was never spanked as a child. After I was grown, my mother said, you know, I should have spanked you. <laughs> and I said, you're right about that. Um, when I went to school... I was a goody two-shoes at school because way back then, the principal did spank the children who were naughty. So uh, I wasn't stupid. I was never going to be naughty at school because I didn't want to the principal to spank me. At home, though, I was very moody, very disrespectful to my parents. I would manipulate my mother and beg and beg and beg until she would give in. We were members of a church that believed that good works saved you. Now, particularly, they keyed in on baptism and communion. And uh, you had to take communion every Sunday or you would be backslidden and you would lose your salvation. Their beliefs seemed logical to me as a child. And uh, when I was eight years old, uh, they had an altar call at the end of the service And I walked the aisle at the end of the service, made a profession of faith, and was baptized. 
the pastor told me I had become a Christian, and uh, I truly did want to go to heaven. That was my motivation to, to walk the aisle. Uh, I set about to work my way to heaven and to be a good girl. And <clears throat> I remember so many times my mother would say, you are so impatient. You need to be patient. And then if that wasn't bad enough, my Sunday school teacher in a little third grade girls class, I remember that. I don't remember the lady's name, but I remember her saying, love is patient. (laughs) And I think my mother talked to her about that. I don't know for sure. I'll never know. But um, it would make me feel guilty. So when I became a Christian, I wanted to be patient. Well, it was very soon I realized I could not be good. So because I failed miserably, I quit trying. And I I remember thinking, well, I can't do it, so I'm just not going to try. When I was 14 years old, there was a split in the church. My parents left, and we stopped going to church. My next encounter with church was as a young wife and mother. And my husband, Sanford, and I became active in a church. We decided we, we needed to get the children into church and Sunday school. And we decided to go to a church where our good friends went. And we would party with them on Saturday night and then go to church on Sunday morning. Now, this, I did, we didn't know what we were doing back then, but this church was full of nice people, but it was uh, apostate. In other words, at some time in the past, they had true faith, but now they have become liberal and they don't believe the Bible's true. They taught us that you, you, you read the Bible and you decide for yourself what parts you think are true and what parts you don't think are true. Now, that didn't bother me much because I never read the Bible. I didn't bother to do that. The church was full of people who thought everyone was saved, no matter what religion you are, as long as you are sincere. So they they thought the Bible was full of myths and God would never send anyone to hell. So I fit really good into that church and looking back on my life as a young woman I I think I had three philosophies of life one was the feminist belief that my identity was determined by my education and my career and I pursued that uh, with a vengeance my second philosophy of life was eat drink and be merry for tomorrow you may die, and um, I pursued that too. I became quite the party girl. And then my third philosophy of life, and this one is the most embarrassing of all, this came from a movie that I saw, uh, and the, the name of the movie is Oh God. Now the actors, the two leading actors were George Burns, he uh, Those of you that are young, you have no clue as to what I'm talking about. But he was a comedian. He was a short, little, funny guy that smoked a cigar. He played God, 
smoking his cigar, and John Denver. And George Burns would come down from heaven and sit and chit-chat with John Denver. So we're watching, and it's a comedy movie, but we're watching this movie, and um, uh, George, uh, John Denver asked George Burns, so what about the different religions? Who's right? And uh, George Burns said, well, it's like this. Mohammed is my son, Buddha is my son, and Jesus is my son. So in other words, it doesn't matter which one you believe. There are many ways to God. And sitting back there in that theater, I thought, oh, that is so profound. That's what I believe. So anyway, I was, uh, and it, it made more sense to me than anything I had been taught in church Sorry, I tried not to sing, but with the piano playing, I just couldn't help it. (laughs) I was on a quest for happiness. I thought my beliefs would attain that for me. I was still the unbelievably selfish, spoiled brat as an adult that I had been as a child. And I went through several stages in my quest. One of them was my education and school. And after high school, I attended nursing school in Atlanta at a large charity hospital. I wanted to be an RN. I liked school. I enjoyed the challenge for a while. But I realized it was not enough to make me happy. So I I wanted to finish, and I did finish. But I thought... If I could just be married, then I would be happy. So I talked to my um, high school sweetheart. We had talked about getting married off and on, but uh, we didn't have any money. Nobody had a job, and we were both in school. But finally, my senior year, it looked like that it was time for us to get married. So I talked to Sanford and... um, I said, what do you think? They changed the rules in the nursing school. We can get married now with our parents' permission. And um, he said, okay. So we did get married. We had a tiny little apartment um, and one old beat-up car. In fact, it was so bad that it had a hole in the floor. And when you're driving down the street, you can see the street. It was an amazing car. Uh, We had barely enough money to pay the rent and to eat, and I had one more year to go to nursing school. Well, after about six months, uh, I realized I was still not happy. It didn't make me happy like I thought it would. In fact, I was miserable. So then I thought, well, if we could just have a baby, then I'd be happy. So I talked to Sanford about having a baby, and he said, okay. So I figured it would take a while to get pregnant. It did not take a while to get pregnant. So the Lord blessed, and I was five months pregnant uh, with our daughter when I graduated in August. Well, Sanford uh, went in the Army. It was during the Vietnam years. He got stationed in Germany, 
And so I joined him there, and our daughter, Anna, was born in Frankfurt. Now, that was exciting. I had never been anywhere like that. And uh, we would, there's castles over there. There's all kinds of things to do over there. It was divided east and west, so you could only go on the, east, uh, the west side of Germany. But um, it was exciting. And uh, I learned a little bit of German and at least enough to go in a store and buy something and read the street signs and things like that. <clears throat> but the winter set in, and I had never been in a winter like that. It's cold over there, and it snowed a lot. The sun seemed like it would never come up in the mornings, and then it would set early and uh, in late afternoon, and uh, then I got homesick. I was bored. I was homesick. Uh, we There was no such thing as Skype, or we didn't have computers. We didn't even have a telephone. Uh, so if you wanted to communicate with somebody, you had to write a letter. Well, that takes forever from Germany, and even with the Army mail there. So I was homesick, I was unhappy, and I made everybody unhappy around me. I wanted to go home. I just thought if I, if I could go home and just get a job as a nurse, then I would be happy. When I remember one time thinking, and it was just a strange thought for me, and the thought was, I wish I could study the Bible. I had never thought that my whole life. And uh, I didn't know anybody in Germany who knew anything about the Bible. So I wrote a letter to my mother-in-law because my mother-in-law was president of her ladies' Sunday school class. And I said, uh, I asked her to send me a Bible study. Well, she, she read the letter. She probably fainted when she got the letter, but she recovered she made a copy of the ladies' Bible study that they were doing in her church, and uh, she mailed it to me. So I remember getting it. I remember opening it. I remember <laughs> flipping through it. And then I got my Bible out. I had a Bible, and it was a little King James Bible that my aunt had given me when I was a child. And it had my name in the front uh, little, with gold letters and had a little gold zipper. Now, I just I still have it because I never read it, and so it's it's just like it was when it was brand new. But uh, I had the Bible study, I had the Bible, I never unzipped the Bible, and I didn't. I don't know what happened to that. I must have just cleaned up one day and thrown it away. But I didn't learn anything about the Bible when we were in Germany. But what I did learn how to do, and I had never been around drinking in my life, uh, but we started going to dinner parties and parties with other young couples, and they would drink, and I started drinking. And I didn't just drink a little bit. I just would go overboard every time. And I would get sick and hung over. And I would swear I'm never going to do that again. And then the very next weekend, there would be another party, and I would do the same thing. Well, if you drink enough, you get 
to you can tolerate it better. Um, and uh, that is what was beginning to happen in my life. Um, I was still homesick. I was still unhappy. I wanted to go home. We finally did, after almost two years, get to go home. And I got a job working as a nurse. Sanford went back to school to complete his degree. And one of my dreams was to have a house. We'd never had a house before. And so we bought a house in an old neighborhood. It was a a major fixer-upper, but it was really cute. By the time we got through fixing it up, and um, I loved that house. We began to remodel it, repair it, doing the work ourselves because we didn't hardly have any money. But even that didn't make me happy. So I've got my dream job. I've. We're, we've got the house. I'm back home where I wanted to be. Um, and then I realized um, I think what we need is another baby. <laughs> so I talked to Sanford, and you know what he said. He said, okay. So uh, the Lord blessed us, and um, our son, David, was born three and a half years after Anna. Well, my career continued because I was certainly not going to let children interfere with my uh, goals here. And um, I decided after a while that what I really needed was to go back to school. Now, with two very young children, um, I quit my job. My mother tried to talk me out of it, but I would not listen to her, and I went back to school. Now, there is a big university in right downtown Atlanta, right in the middle. It's called Georgia State University, and that's where I went. They had a program for RNs to complete their bachelor's degree. So I started there, and uh, I went. I did go back to school, and there was other women, and some men, but mostly women, who were also in the same classes that I was in, because they had this RN to BSN track thing there. Well, I met a gal there. Her, she was married. She didn't have any children, but she. Uh, and I became friends, and we began to party together. Um, she and I, at, at night, we she even drank as much or more than I did, and uh, she began to confide in me that she was often immoral with men she would meet. Now, you would think I would have been repelled by that, but instead I was drawn to it, and um, I began to go to bars with her at night. Um, there were bars around the university that students would frequent, and we would go there at night after classes, and I would be drunk driving home at night. Now, if you've ever driven through Atlanta, you do not want to be drunk. I mean, it's, it's a nightmare even when you're stone sober. It's just God's grace and providence that I didn't hurt somebody or kill myself. 
uh, in those driving home. Um, my life took a very bad turn, very bad at this time. Uh, but I was determined to have fun and to find happiness. I thought another man would make me happy. I perceived, I what am I trying to say? I pursued that, but not just one man, but other men too. None of that made me happy. After I graduated, I, we moved to a different town. The name of the town is Peachtree City, Georgia. Now, doesn't that sound like it's in Georgia? Uh, it's about 45 minutes southwest of Atlanta. My husband had gotten a job as an air traffic controller, and it was closer to where he was working. We had friends that lived there, and so we uh, bought some property there, moved there into a condominium. We rented it, and then we were having a house built. Uh, and one of my dreams, this, the reason I went back to school is, I wanted to teach nursing at the college level. So I got a job teaching nursing at a college level. And um, I did love that job. I enjoyed that. Um, outwardly, we looked like the perfect little family. By this time, David was six years old and Anna was ten. And um, But I was living a secret life of drinking and immorality and uh, pursuing the immorality and nothing made me happy. I finally got so desperate to be happy that I finally decided that my f the only thing that was going to satisfy me would, ha would be to have my freedom. And I began to make secret plans to leave my husband and my children. And fortunately for me, unbeknownst to me, God had a different plan for my life. Now, as uh, we're living in that rented condominium and we're building the house, uh, we found out that the builder was stealing money from us. And he stole thousands of dollars from us. And we were left with an unfinished house, no money, and um, trying then to, on the weekends, to do the labor ourselves, to try to finish it up so that we could at least get an occupancy permit so we could get in there and live there. Um, that was putting a lot of stress on us. My secret lifestyle was putting a lot of stress on me personally. My secret plans were putting a lot of stress on me. And it was beginning to make me anxious. Well, <clears throat> when I started teaching at the college, uh, I had to share an office with another instructor. And her name is Katrina Barnes. And uh, when I got in there, in that office, uh, one day, she starts talking to me about the Lord. Well, I didn't know who she was talking about. And I really didn't care who she was talking about. But one day she said, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when she said that, I knew who she was talking about. And the 
anger and just hate, pure hatred of her just welled up inside of me. I screamed at her to be quiet, leave me alone, stop talking. She started crying, and she did stop talking. And I was glad. I just, I was mean to her, and I, I was just thrilled that she was stopping talking about the Lord. Well, she went to a little church called Grace Bible Church, and I thought, well, that's an odd name for a church. Now, my church now is Faith Bible Church, uh, but it was a little church. It doesn't even exist anymore, but they, uh, her, their pastor taught the Bible verse by verse. So she was learning a lot. And so every, she would, that, when I would be ugly to her, she would stop talking. She would go home, get all prayed up, and come back the next day talking about the Lord. Well, from my perspective, looking, now she says this is not true. Her perspective is probably more accurate. But it seemed to me all she did was talk about sin and hell. She was big on sin and big on hell, and she was convinced that that's where I was headed, and actually that was true. Being in there with her in that little office was like being chained to the Apostle Paul. (laughs) I mean, really, I was in prison. I could not get away from her. Um, And on Wednesday nights, and I didn't know this, But on Wednesday nights, she would go to her church, and they would have prayer meeting. Well, every Wednesday night, she would raise her hand and get up and give a report about me. (laughs) And I was famous in that little church. Everybody was begging God to save me and uh, to help her be sane, to be able to go back to work. Again, the next day, Um, they prayed for me faithfully for almost a year. It was, um, I'm I'm just glad I didn't know it, but God knew it. Meanwhile, one day, the phone rang at home. And some old friends of ours, Jackie and Ed Sherwood, uh, had moved back to the Atlanta area. And I had heard through the grapevine that they had become religious. And my comment was, when I heard that, that's too bad. They're not going to be any fun anymore. They won't drink. They won't party. We were college friends of theirs. and um, But anyway, Jackie called, and she said, we're back in town. Her, Ed was in the Army, and they had been, they were stationed in Germany at that time. And she said, um, my dad has cancer, and he's uh, dying, and Ed got a compassionate reassignment back here, and we are uh, home, living with my parents and um, in their little house in East Point, which is a suburb of Atlanta. I have been in that house. I, I knew exactly where she was. And she said, you have not seen our children They were younger than our children were. And uh, can we come down Friday night? We know you're living in Peachtree City. 
and we'll just visit. And she said, I'll bring ingredients to make pizza. Now, back that many years ago, if you wanted a pizza, you had to make it uh, pretty much from scratch. So I said, okay, come on. And um, I'll make a salad, and she brought ingredients to make pizza. Everybody is drinking Coca-Cola except me. I was drinking wine. And so, but we had a good time. And uh, that first time they came, we laughed, we talked, we caught up on everybody, all our friends and family and everything. And um, about 10 o'clock, I'm thinking, they need to go home. I was tired. I had worked all day. And uh, Ed said, oh, by the way, I'm teaching an adult Sunday school class. And this week's lesson is really interesting, and he proceeded to give it. He he memorized it. He memorized the scripture. He memorized his points. He must have practiced it before he came. So we're just like, what are you doing? But we didn't say anything. And finally, 30 minutes later, he quit talking. Uh, he didn't pray. And uh, they left. Well, Sanford and I did not like that. And we said, we don't want them to come back. They really are religious now. And um, the next week, Jackie called me and said, but she gave me this sob story first. She said, oh, it's so hard here with, with Daddy so sick. And I haven't been out all week long. And. The kids are here, and can we come down Friday night, and I'll bring ingredients to make pizza. So it was just it was just the Lord did this because I said yes. (laughs) (laughs) So they came, and um, we had a good time. We made pizza. I'm drinking. Everybody else is drinking Coke. Uh, The Headquarters of Coca-Cola in Atlanta, so that's what you drink when you're in Atlanta. But um, I kid you not, at 10 o'clock, and I don't know why he waited till 10 o'clock, but he said, let me tell you about this week's lesson, and he just gave it, and he had memorized it again. So... Uh, Sanky and I, Sanford and I are rolling our eyes at each other, and maybe they picked up on it. I don't know, but it didn't stop them. Uh, <laughs> so they left, and we discussed it, and we said, they're not coming back. <laughs> so the next week, they did not call. So I remember driving home that Friday thinking, oh, good. We have not heard from them, and they're going to leave us alone. So I got, I picked up the kids, I got home, and I'm sitting in the living room of that condominium, and it's a two-story deal. It's got a solid door and then a glass panel beside it. And so you can see in or out of it through the glass panel. And something caught my eye, and I looked up, and there they were. <laughs> and they're peeking in the window. The tallest to the shortest. Well, they saw me, 
and I saw them, and it was too late to hide. I would have hidden. I really would have. So they're just laughing and smiling and waving because they were so excited that we were there. So I got up, and I opened the door. I was so disgusted. I didn't even say hello. I just stood back and pointed, like, come in. And that didn't stop them either. So Jackie is in front, and then the two little girls, and then Ed, and they're in a line, and they march in, and Jackie says, we have a new tradition on Friday nights. And I thought, for the rest of my life, I have to eat pizza with these people and hear Ed's Sunday school lesson. And see, it never dawned on me that God was trying to tell me something. I mean, I go to work, and there's Katrina, Miss Evangelist. And then I come home, and there's Jackie and Ed, and Ed's Sunday school lesson. He got tired of memorizing his lesson. So he started bringing a Bible, and he started bringing a few little notes, an outline of his notes And one thing, though, that did get my attention, besides me being so irritated and angry at them, when Katrina talked about God, when Ed and Jackie talk about God, they talked about him as if he were real, as if they believed what the Bible says. And that did get my attention. Um. One time, this went on, and Ed um, was reading in First Peter. I don't even know the point he was trying to make. I don't remember that. But he, uh, he got to the part where it says that women are to be submissive to their husbands. And I thought, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. And... Me, the feminist, was just, that was ridiculous. Then he says, he wrote, he read, they're to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Well, I didn't know what that was, but I knew I didn't have it. (laughs) And um, so, let's see, when the part, the last thing he read was about being submissive. And about the holy women of old who hoped in God being submissive, Sarah being submissive to her own husband. I got, I got so angry at him that I screamed at him to stop. I reached over the table and I grabbed his Bible and I snatched it out of his hand and I threw it in his face. Well, you could have heard a pin drop in that room. And even I was embarrassed about that, but I didn't apologize. I just was embarrassed. God gave Ed a lot of grace (laughs) to just be quiet when I did that. So I was like, my a good friend of mine, when she heard my testimony, she said, your testimony is like the taming of the shrew. (laughs) Um, A lot was happening. I still had... My secret plans to leave. Uh, gradually, though, I began to feel anxious. Now, that was a strange feeling for me 
because I wasn't anxious. I was arrogant and cocky. And um, But one day it got so bad that I had a panic attack. Now, when you have a panic attack, you're, you're, you get so scared that your adrenaline goes off in your body, and it's, it's a horrible feeling. I'd rather have a baby than have a panic attack. And your hands shake, your heart pounds. You, it, they call it the fight or flight response so that you can, if somebody's trying to attack you, you can run faster than you've ever run in your life, that kind of thing. But once I had one panic attack, I started having more panic attacks. And I knew physically what was happening to me. And I began, my, my response to that was I would just burst into tears. And I was crying all the time. And then my drinking really escalated. I started drinking all day, every day, except when I was at work because I had standards and I would not drink at work. Plus, I had students in ICU and CCU and I didn't want to kill anybody either or them kill anybody. Um, so, Sanford, everybody noticed, my whole family, everybody, my friends, um, and I felt like I was having a nervous breakdown. That's what the world would have described it as. And Sanford wanted to take me to a psychiatrist, and I wouldn't go. I said, I'm not going. He'll put me on medicine or put me in the hospital, and then it would jeopardize my career. And I don't want to lose my license. I don't want to lose my job, and I'm just not going. So he couldn't, he kept trying to get me to go or take me, but I would not go. Um, a lot was happening. And uh, we finally moved in that house. It was a beautiful house. And we don't live in that house now. We live in another house. But um, it should have been a happy time in my life. But I was utterly miserable. And uh, Sanford worked shift work, and so one night he was gone to work, and it was in the summertime, so I had the summer off. Well, that was not good for me because I could drink every day, all day, a lot. And, um, and then I kept having these panic attacks. And I just became, I, I got to the end of my rope. I just thought, I can't take this anymore. And uh, one night, Sanford was working till midnight. The kids were asleep. I'm sitting at that beautiful kitchen table in that brand-new house, and I had been drinking heavy all day long. And I thought, I can't take this anymore. What am I going to do? And I thought about Psychiatrist. I thought about different options, and I thought about killing myself. And I sat there, and that, to me, was the only good option, to commit suicide. I planned it out in great detail. And before I could do it, 
I remembered something that my friend Katrina had said from work. And she was convinced that I was going to hell. Well, I didn't believe there was a hell. But I thought, what if she is right and I'm wrong? Then that's where I'm going to be. Because she was convinced I deserved to be there. Well, I sure did deserve to be there. And so I thought, well, I'm just not going to kill myself. Because if I do and go to hell, I can't get back. So just for selfish reasons, I didn't kill myself. I went to bed, which is what I should have done hours before that. The next morning, I the alcohol had worn off. And I woke up, I woke up having a panic attack, uh, tears running down my face. But I, I became terrified at what had almost happened the night before. And um, I thought, my problem is I'm an alcoholic. Now, it was. I, I mean, I was an alcoholic. I have to face reality and uh, I'm just going to quit drinking. So I went downstairs. I poured out every drop of anything we had in that house. It was gone. And cold turkey, I quit drinking. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go into withdrawal, to, into DTs in two or three days. Uh, but I'll just have to go to the doctor and he'll give me something to get me through it. The Lord just spared me of that. I don't know why, and just his kindness to me. I did not begin to hallucinate, and I didn't go into severe withdrawal. But I still kept having these panic attacks. And so finally, Ed suggested, they were down there one day, he suggested that I start reading my Bible. So I thought, well, what do I have to lose? He said, read the Gospel of John. Well, I knew how to find the Gospel of John in my Bible. He said, read the whole thing. Just keep reading it. So uh, I got out my little King James Bible. And King James is a perfectly good translation of the Bible. I just wasn't used to the language, you know, the the um, old English language in the Bible so I started reading the Gospel of John, and I just, it didn't make any sense to me. So I quit reading, and I told Ed the next time I saw him, I said, I tried, but my Bible doesn't make sense to me, and I didn't get through the whole thing. He and Jackie went out and bought me a Bible that was easy to read and easy to understand, and they gave it to me. And they were just as, they were desperate at this, by this time. So I started reading, uh, the Gospel of John. Now I read it from beginning to end over and over again. I was out of school. It was like I couldn't concentrate on anything else except reading the Gospel of John. Well, I read it so many times, I knew what was going to happen. And I'm, I just kind of learned the story. I could tell you what was going to happen on the next page before I turned the page. You know how you read a children's book to your children over and over again, you know, 
what is going to happen. Well, I knew what was going to happen. So I don't know how many times over that month that I read the Gospel of John, but it was a lot. Well, then one day Ed said, um, well, do you pray? Because I wasn't getting any better. He, I said, no. Should I pray? He said, yeah. Why don't you pray and ask God to help you? So I thought, okay, what could I lose? So I'm still reading the Gospel of John, and I started praying. And my prayer went like this. It was the same prayer over and over. Lord, because that's what they called him, Lord, um, I'm asking you to take my anxiety away, please. Give us the money back that the builder has stolen and to put our marriage back together. Now, we were still together, but barely, hanging on by a thread. Because by that time, I had decided not to leave my family because I was too unstable. To So for selfish reasons, I decided not to leave my family. Well, um, there was an evening. It was, I think it was the, near the end of June. And uh, I, Sanford was working another evening shift that night. The kids were asleep, and uh, I went to bed. I was really tired. And, you know, I could think better when I quit drinking. So my mind was clearer when I was reading the Gospel of John and praying. But I got, um, I started at the beginning I tried to go to sleep, and I couldn't because my heart was pounding so hard, and um, I was having a panic attack. So I sat up, and I grabbed my the new Bible, turned on the light, and started reading in John. I, read, I started at the beginning, got up through chapter 13. Jesus told his disciples he was going to be killed. Well, they were devastated. They did not understand they were frightened what's going to happen to us if, if he is killed. And so they begin to ask him questions. And he is comforting them on this bad news um, in chapter 14. So that night I'm reading along, and, he's, and I knew the context. He said, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Now, I knew where they were going because I had read the whole thing, where he was going, but they did not understand. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way where you are going. How do we know the way? And that's when Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father but through me. Well, that night I stopped reading and I thought about it. I read it again. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
And all of a sudden, I realized he's claiming to be the only way to God. See, that's not what I had thought previously in my own self. And that night, I said, oh, well, I think that's true. He is the only way to God. And then Jesus said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. All right, that confused them. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus fussed at him. He said, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Okay, now, these men had been with him for three years. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the prophet said that when the Messiah comes, he's going to be Emmanuel. He's going to be God in the flesh. He's going to give sight to the blind. He's going to raise people from the dead. He's going to heal the sick. He's going to do all these signs to authenticate who he is. And yet they they had been eyewitnesses to these things, and yet they had not connected the dots that he was God in the flesh, that he was the, the Messiah. Uh, the Old Testament uses the word Messiah. The New Testament uses the word Christ. But there is the same person, the same God. So he said, if you have uh, seen me... You, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Well, that night, I stopped reading. I thought about that. And then all of a sudden, I went, he's claiming to be God. I couldn't believe it. I was just astounded. And I remembered, I was 33 years old when I got saved that night. I remembered what my Sunday school teacher one time, one Sunday, third, I was eight years old, she had written on the board the words, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I realized that's what she was trying to tell us. And then that night, God just put it in my heart to think, well, I think that's true. He is God. So I kept reading. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. The works themselves are the miracles that they had seen him do and that the prophets said When the Messiah comes, you're going to know who he is because of these things. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Well, then I got down to verse 13. And he says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. And I stopped reading and I said, that's not true. 
because I had always prayed in Jesus' name because that's what Ed did and what Katrina did and everybody did around me. And I asked him to take my anxiety away. I asked him to give us our money back. I asked him to put our marriage back together. So I said, it's not true that he will do these things. But I read the verse again, and I read the whole verse the second time. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And it was I didn't understand what was happening to me, but it was just during that moment of time that God just overwhelmed me with truth, with guilt over my sin. I mourned over it. I mean, I thought I was going to die. It was so grievous to me how I had sinned against God. And the biggest thing that grieved me was I had never given God glory, not one time in my whole entire life. So I began to pray. And this prayer was very different. I began to confess my sin. And I would name something, and I would ask God to forgive me. And I would name something else, and it was a long, vile, dirty, ugly list. And when I couldn't think of anything else to confess, I said to God in my prayer, now I understand that you are real, that your word is true, and um, I'm asking you to take my anxiety away. But whether you do or whether you don't, and I hesitated because I knew if he didn't that I would soon be in a psychiatric hospital. But I kept praying. I said, whether you do or whether you don't, you decide how my life can glorify you the most. And then I pointed here where he says, you can ask in my name. And it was, it was like, do you see what you wrote here? <laughs> in Jesus' name I'm praying, amen. Well, it was late. I was tired. I closed my Bible. I turned out the light. I went to sleep. And um, the next morning, instead of waking up to a panic attack and tears in my eyes, um, what I was experiencing was the peace of God, supernatural peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. I didn't, I couldn't have explained it to you. I didn't understand it. I remember getting up and walking across the room, turning on the light and thinking, I have finally found what I have so desperately been looking for. My life will never be the same. Now, now I know I did not find God. I was kicking and screaming and opposing him the whole way. But he, in his mercy, drew me to himself, convicted me of my sin, and granted me repentance and faith. 
uh, I could not have expressed it that way because I didn't know. I, I, when my daughter Anna, she was 11 years old when this happened, and I didn't tell anybody what had happened because they already thought I was crazy. And um, I had, when my, in my psych rotation, I had a patient who thought she had given birth to the Christ child. Now, I was not a Christian then, but I knew that was not true. So I thought, if I see that God is with me and helping me, and they, they really will lock me up. So I just didn't say anything. But I talked to Sanford, and I said, what do you think about let's start going to Sunday school and church? We might as well go to Ed's Sunday school class <laughs> and save him the effort on Saturday night. And the, but I did say something that I had not said before. If I don't get better, then I will go to a psychiatrist. So he said, okay. He's, he's a good enough person to start going to Sunday school and church with me. It was a few months later when the Lord saved him. Um, there was, I looked like the same person, but I sure didn't act like the same person. I loved God. I loved his word. I could not get enough of it. I started reading the Bible for the very first time in my life, except for the Gospel of John. I turned to Genesis 1, verse 1, and I read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and my soul just soared. I was just thrilled with that one sentence, and then I just kept reading. Some things I didn't understand, but I kept reading. And I got to the New Testament, and it was like, oh, no, I'm doing that wrong, or I'm thinking that wrong, or I, I need to change this, or I need to change that. Uh, finally, after about two weeks of this, going to Sunday school and church, um, I decided to confide in Ed's wife, Jackie. And I said, I want to tell you a secret, but you have to promise not to tell anybody. Well, she had heard some of my secrets, and she she was like, oh, what is it? And so I got real close, and I whispered, <laughs> and I said, God is real to me. Do you think I'm crazy? And she laughed at me. She said, no, we already knew. I said, how did you know? I, didn't, I haven't told anybody. She said, it's obvious. <laughs> so anyway, I was so relieved that she didn't think I was crazy. She did think I was crazy before, but she didn't think I was crazy then. It is overwhelming what God has done in my life. Uh, he did slowly put our marriage back together. Sanford got saved a few months later. Katrina at work said that that was the happiest day of her life. <laughs> and it probably was. I never again had a desire to leave my family. I even quit my job. I, I was halfway through my master's degree at Georgia State. <clears throat> and that summer, by the end of the summer, I just was so convicted that I had just neglected my family so much. 
And so I wrote Georgia State a letter, the dean of the nursing school, and I said in the letter, I have become a Christian, and the Lord Jesus is coming back, and I don't have time for this. (laughs) Withdraw me from the program. And they did. And I'm sure the ones that are still alive are still laughing their heads off about this. Every once in a while I think, Lord, please come so that they're going to say, oh, that's what she was talking about. Uh, later, after I quit working, I began, my pastor that I, we had then uh, helped me to teach a ladies' Bible study. Eventually, after about five years of that, I took training to become a biblical counselor and long story short, over years of time, um, God gave me help and the desire to write the Excellent Life book. The things that were so important to me before, the partying, the drinking, the men, uh, my education, were not so important. What was important to me was to be holy as he is holy. And my greatest desire from the beginning of when I got saved is, until now, is to help other women become as much like the Lord Jesus Christ as possible. And then I want them, in turn, to do that for other women. Only God can give you that kind of desire. Uh, he, it just has to be from God. Um, to be used by him for his glory, a desire to submit yourself to him and to his word, wanting to please him. Only God can give you a new heart. The heart is who you are on the inside. It's what you're thinking. It's the secret part of you. Only you know and only God knows. A new heart that desires his glory above all things and an incredible joy in serving him. The Bible calls that a new heart or being born again. We might call it being saved or becoming a believer. And tonight I've talked about how God intervened in my life, how he cleansed me of my sin, saved my soul. There was nothing in me that deserved his favor. There is nothing in anyone, even if you've been a good person, I have a friend, good friend, Mary Beth, and she's one of those goody two-shoes that has never done anything bad in her life. And I used to didn't like people like that. And, uh, but she was proud and self-righteous. And the Lord had to save her too. And, uh, I just, I told, I tell her, I tease her. I say, you're no better than I am. And she said, I didn't get into as much trouble as you did. I said, well, you do have a point. But it is only God's mercy and his favor to us, unmerited favor. We do not merit it. Uh, You see, God is holy. He is untouched by even a shadow of sin. Um, I, I love the part in Isaiah uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 1, where Isaiah, now Isaiah was a preacher. He was a prophet. God talked to him. He talked to kings. He talked to other people. He warned them of judgment to come. 
And uh, you would, we would have thought, if we were there, this is a holy man. And um, But one day, God let him see a vision of God sitting on his throne. So let me read you this. And he wrote about it, Isaiah did. In the year of King Isaiah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Now, the more important the king, the longer the train of the robe. Seraphim, now seraphim were one of the kinds of angels that God created. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. So these angels, this is the scene that Isaiah is looking at. The angels are hovering above God and above his throne. And uh, with one, and one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now, the host are the angel armies. With the whole earth, he said, is full of his glory. Now, when in the Hebrew language, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, and to emphasize a word, they would repeat it. So to say that he is holy, holy, holy is just uh, unbelievable repetition of that. And the foundations, it was scary for Isaiah. The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Now, Isaiah's reaction to this is he saw his sin for what it was compared to the holiness of God. And it scared him. And he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Now, a woe is a curse. He cursed himself. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God is holy. And we are not. We are sinners. We deserve to die. We deserve to be punished. For our sin, God is our perfect creator, and we are his creatures, and therefore we are obligated to obey him perfectly. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's what you have earned. That's what we all deserve. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, Paul is writing to Christians there in Ephesus. And he says, formerly, before you were a Christian, before you were saved, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So we are, without Christ, we are as good as dead. And when we die, we will be separated from God for all of eternity. Um, and we can never do enough good works. We can never be deserving enough to work our way into heaven. God's standard is perfection, to love him perfectly. 
Uh, you cannot attain salvation on your own. Titus 3, verses 4 through 7, Paul explained it this way. But when the kindness of God our Savior, God our Savior is our Lord Jesus Christ, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the Holy Spirit cleansing us of our sin and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified, legally declared righteous and and imputed with Christ's righteousness, that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Ladies, it is God's mercy, God's grace, God's gift that makes it possible for us to be saved. God himself in the form of a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived the perfect life that we should be living. And he died an innocent man slash God. He suffered incomprehensible agony on the cross. He took on himself the punishment that we deserved. The cross was a cruel, torturous way to die. But he was not only doing that, but the father was pouring his wrath out on the son, punishing him for our sins because he was sinless. He did not deserve that. He bore our sins in his body on the cross, the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He, talking about God, made him, talking about Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He died, the Bible says, he died for our um, trespasses, our sins, and was raised from the dead for our justification before God. His resurrection was the proof positive that he had done what he said he would do and that some men, all men and women, all who will believe will be saved. In Acts 16.31, it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If uh, Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and that means he's your God, he's your Savior, he's your Master, you want to obey him, you want to bow before him, you want to honor him. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So let's pray. Father, we just never get tired of thinking about what you have done on our behalf. That you are kind. The Bible says you're kind to evil men. It's just amazing to think about it. And... We love you and we worship you tonight because of that. And 
I just pray that everybody, myself included, will have, you will give us a desire to be used for your glory, no matter what that means in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.